I'm AJ Pardo with Newman Stock Farm in Floresville, Texas. You're listening to the latest news in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello, Texas. It is time to roll once again with another edition of Texas Ag Today. So jump on in with me. Buckle up. We're going to take a ride around the Lone Star State as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the nation, Texas agriculture. In the news today, it is no easy task to get cotton shipped out of this country and around the world right now. We'll check in with Plains Cotton Growers to get their take on the cotton shipping challenges the industry is facing. Also, it's time to scout your sorghum fields for sugarcane aphids. We'll check in with pioneer agronomist Ron Joyner in Central Texas to get his advice on scouting those Milo fields. My name is Kerry Martin. I'm your host along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. From the Piney Woods of East Texas to the Rocky Ranges of the Trans-Pecos and from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. As I visit with various sources around the Texas High Plains, the impact drought is having on area ranchers remains a big topic. I'm James Hunt, and coming up on Texas Ag Today, we'll talk about what cattle raisers are up against and some special programs designed to help them. Former U.S. Ambassador to China Terry Branstad talks about the state of the U.S.-China Agricultural Agreement that has now been in effect for two years. I'm Tom Nicoletti, and I'll have comments from the ambassador on Texas Ag Today. Often there are non-traditional products that claim to improve forage production at a lower cost than traditional fertilizers. We will discuss a few things we should keep in mind when evaluating these products. I'm Dr. Vanessa Olson from Overton. We'll have those stories plus Texas wildlife news and a complete look at the markets all coming up. Shipping cotton around the world is no easy task right now. Sean Wade is with Plains Cotton Growers in Lubbock. Certainly the, the situation is still pretty pretty tight on the shipping side and, and we still see uh, you know some delays uh, being caused by you know just the inability of folks to be able to get uh, get loads picked up. Uh, so you know our warehouses on the cotton side are, are doing the best they can to, to get this cotton ready. Uh, and meet those shipping orders that they're receiving. Uh, but my understanding is there's still a fair percentage, maybe as many as you know, 30 to 40% of those loads uh, are still not being picked up on time. And so, you know, that's causing a little bit of logistic problems there at the warehouse. Wade says he's optimistic that warehouses can get the old crop cotton shipped out in a timely manner to make room for this fall's crop. I think it's really just a fluid situation. and People are, are kind of keeping an eye on that. Uh, certainly from a producer perspective, um, some of these shipping delays aren't uh, as impact, impactful to them directly because they've already sold that cotton. Uh, but it is certainly causing our merchant friends uh, a lot of consternation uh, trying to get this cotton out to their, to their customers. Sean Wade with Plains Cotton Growers in Lubbock. It's time to scout sorghum fields for sugarcane aphids. Ron Joyner is a pioneer field agronomist for Central Texas. 
very important that growers uh, stay on top of it to protect the yield that they've got, make sure their plants uh, develop properly, and uh, make sure they control that pest. Uh, one of the things we like to do this time of year is check, you know, four or five spots in a field, uh, not just one, and and see if there's any aphids building. We do have uh, a lot of uh, varieties along with other companies that are tolerant to aphids, but nothing is resistant. So it's important to manage that pest. So, Ron, have you been seeing any sugarcane aphids at this point in the growing season? Great question. Uh, depends on where you're at. I've, I've seen a few, and one of the things that's real important is to check the field edges, like, for example, road ditches that have a lot of Johnson grass in them can be a habitat for aphids, and a lot of times we'll see them developing there before they move out into the field. And one sure indication is uh, if you see any honeydew-type uh, formation on the leaves, it looks real sticky and, and discoloration, and if you'll turn that leaf over, you can find those aphids there. That's Ron Joyner, field agronomist for Pioneer in Central Texas. He says a good treatment threshold rule of thumb is about 30% of the leaves with at least 50 aphids on each leaf. Recent rains have been very welcome on the Texas High Plains, but James Hunt tells us grazing lands have a long road to recovery following several months of drought. As we've been talking about lately, recent storms have delivered some pretty big rains here and there around the region, but it's that here and there part that's the issue, especially from the ranching perspective. Not everyone has been getting the kind of rains that could truly improve grazing conditions. For example, up around Dumas, Moore County Extension agent Marcel Fischbacher says some places have received good moisture, but as a whole, the county's grazing lands are in bad shape. And that's reason to worry. This looked like to me a lot of uh, ranchers in the cow-calf deal did not make the decision to reduce their numbers, and I think they're already getting in the bind. I've seen some really low body condition scores of the cattle out there. I know of some people saying they've already fed 15 bales of hay per cow, and so I think some of those guys should have made decisions last fall and early in the spring, and, and they still have too many head for what's ahead of us, even if it starts raining now. We'll have reduced grass production. So uh, if you're not out there looking forward and if you weren't proactive to do some of those things, I think it could be a tough year. A tough year, especially since the expectation is we're going to go dry again and maybe for a fairly long stretch. In recognition of the challenges our cattle raisers face, AgriLife is offering a series of online programs in the coming weeks. On June 15th, the topic will be culling decisions. On July 6th, there will be discussion of early weaning implications and vaccination programs. And for the July 27th program, the conversation will be about supplementation decisions. Each of these online programs will begin at 10 a.m. Contact your local extension office on how to participate. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. The Phase 1 trade deal with China was a success when it comes to U.S. meat exports. Tom Nicoletti caught up with the former U.S. ambassador to China at the recent U.S. Meat Export Federation meeting in San Antonio. Phase one of the U.S.-China economic and trade agreement has been in effect now for two years, uh, greatly expanding access to U.S. beef in China and easing long-standing barriers for U.S. pork. To talk more about the agreement, uh, my guest today is Terry Branstad. He is the former U.S. ambassador to China, also former governor of Iowa. And uh, Mr. Ambassador, thank you for being uh, with us today. And what is your assessment of the first two years of this trade agreement? Well, it's not perfect, but it's the best 
agreement we've had with China yet, Tom. Uh, and the result is they have purchased record amounts of beef, pork, corn, and soybeans. We need to continue to push for China to fulfill its commitments. We need to continue to build those relationships. There's no doubt that our two countries are going through some challenging times, but China has a 1.4 billion people, a growing middle class, and they need more protein, and we can supply safe and reliable quality products. You say that this overall agreement between the United States and China has benefited the agricultural sector in the United States more than any other. Why is that? The agreement involved many issues, agriculture, energy, manufacturing, insurance and financial services. But of all of those sectors, and none of them was totally fulfilled, but the agriculture was the one that has had the highest percentage of fulfillment. And the Chinese have actually purchased record amounts of these agriculture commodities. That is former uh, U.S. Ambassador to China, Terry Branstad, here in San Antonio at the U.S. Meat Export Federation Spring Conference. I'm Tom Nicoletti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. There are non-traditional products on the market that claim to improve forage production. Texas A&M forage specialist Dr. Vanessa Olson says you need to keep in mind that these products are not a replacement for traditional fertilizers. Soil additives are different from traditional fertilizers and soil amendments in that they usually have little or no nutrient content. There is no requirement for these non-traditional products to have a guaranteed analysis label. Many of these products state on the label that they are not a substitute for a fertilizer program, but enhance the effectiveness of fertilizer normally applied. They are claimed to improve soil physical, chemical, and biological properties to improve nutrient and or water availability in the soil and increase crop nutrient uptake. Most traditional soil amendments and commercial fertilizers have been tested extensively through research trials to document both their benefits and limitations. The benefits for many of these non-traditional products have not been proven scientifically by independent research. Many marketers of these products will rely on testimonials with limited or no actual data toward performance. Another common theme is low cost and low application rates. Therefore, be very cautious before making a decision to use these products. The best advice that can be given to growers is to evaluate new products carefully and insist upon local or regional research data demonstrating product effectiveness and value. Since there are so many products on the market, it is difficult for extension personnel and university researchers to test all of the products. Nevertheless, extension agents and specialists may still be able to give you some information based on their experiences with similar products. Anytime we are making decisions about products or nutrients to add for forage production, we should always start with a soil test. Soil tests can be used to estimate the kinds and amounts of soil nutrients already available to plants. They also can be used as aids in determining fertilizer needs. Properly conducted soil sampling and testing can be cost-effective indicators of the types and amounts of fertilizer needed to improve forage yield. Levels of nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium applied should be based on soil test recommendations as well as match farm goals. This is Dr. Vanessa Olson with Texas A&M AgriLife Extension in Overton for Texas Ag Today. Deer breeders who enrolled in the state's CWD herd certification plan could see some changes. I'm Jessica Domel, and I'll have more coming up on Texas Ag Today. Are you taking your pet on a trip this summer? Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has some advice coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today. 
Hi, this is Kerry Martin with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. You know, I've spent my entire life in agriculture, and I know how stressful farming and ranching can be. Things like the economy, finances, and the weather all increase our stress levels and can leave us feeling defeated. That's where the Texas Agri-Stress Helpline comes in. I want you to write this number down, 833-897-2474, Or if you can't write it down right now, just remember, you can go to farmlifehelp.com. That's farmlifehelp.com. The Texas Agri-Stress Helpline. Even the toughest people need help sometimes. Do me a favor, don't wait. Call today. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. If you're planning on taking your pet on a trip this summer, Dr. Bob Judd has some pet traveling tips from Dr. Christine New. Dr. New indicates that you should follow a checklist before traveling with your pets. The most important item to consider is to gather any medications your pet is taking and make sure you have an adequate supply for the duration of your trip. Realize it is illegal for a veterinarian to dispense medication without examining your pet. So if you're out of town, a new veterinarian will require an exam before dispensing meds, and this will lead to increased cost. And if your medication is compounded, it will require several days for it to be available, which could be critical in certain situations. Also, take enough of your pet's food for the trip, especially if your pet is on a prescription diet, as that also requires a prescription, just like medication. Even if your dog is on a regular food, I would still recommend taking your pet's food, as even though a certain food may be available across the country, it is possible the food could taste differently and cause an issue. Every new bag of food you buy that is a different lot number could be slightly different, and the farther you travel, the more likely this could occur. All ingredients are not exactly the same, as even though the listed ingredients are the same. For example, the chicken or corn used in the diet in Texas is likely somewhat different than these same ingredients used in the diet in New York. Another good idea is to have a copy of your pet's current medical history, especially if your pet has significant medical issues. You can always contact your vet and have records sent to another clinic, but this will not be helpful at midnight on a Saturday night at an emergency clinic. I'm veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Deer breeders enrolled in Texas CWD herd certification program could see some changes. Jessica Domel tells more about it in today's wildlife report. The Texas Animal Health Commission is working closely with the U.S. Department of Agriculture as USDA's Animal and Plant Health Inspection Service reviews the state's chronic wasting disease herd certification program. The voluntary program is administered by TAHC in Texas. It provides a list of requirements for enrolled deer breeders to reduce the spread of CWD. Enrollment and a certified status are required for a deer breeder to send CWD-susceptible animals out of state or to Mexico. Dr. Andy Schwartz, state veterinarian and executive director of the Animal Health Commission, recently told the Texas House Agriculture and Livestock Committee that in September of 2021, USDA notified the Animal Health Commission that they wanted to review the state's plan after seven enrolled herds had CWD-positive tests. Dr. Schwartz testified that USDA's report was not favorable. USDA pointed out the state's rules and regulations did not match federal rules. 
In summary, they recommended that we update our state regulations, and I would say that we have done that largely. There was a set of updates that were done in September, I'm sorry, October of 2021, and that was basically to require that samples be submitted within seven days of collection and that we redefined a commingling. So those rules were passed by our commission last fall. The second set, which will complete that revision, is underway now, and they, this final rule should be published in the state register on June 17th for a comment period. So that will bring us, if they pass, into full compliance from a rule standpoint. We'll have more from that hearing with Dr. Schwartz on our next show. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. We closed out the trading week with a mixed close in the live cattle market while feeder cattle finished higher. We'll check out all of Friday's livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. After my first car accident, I feared the biggest damage would be to my wallet. I expected a mountain of bills and a long, drawn-out process. But my Texas Farm Bureau insurance agent was there when I needed her and helped me get back on my feet and in my car in no time. Instead of a hassle, I got reassurance and a quick recovery. Visit Texas Farm Bureau Insurance today at tfbinsurance.com to find an agent who's there when you need them most. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. Live cattle finished up the trading week on Friday with a mixed close. The nearby contracts were lower, deferreds were higher. June live cattle dropped two cents to end the week at 133.60. August down 27 at 133.85. October live cattle up seven cents, 139.70. Now the feeder cattle market finished higher across the board. August feeders up 92 cents, 173.87. September up 82 cents at 176.30 while October was up 60, 178.27. Cash-fed cattle market over the past week was about two bucks lower. Here in the south, we saw fed cattle sales at 135 on a live basis. Dressed cattle up north traded for 222. Both of those prices, two bucks cheaper compared to the previous week. Boxed beef prices higher on Friday. Choice up 65 cents, 267.30. Select up 46 cents at 250.09. Now let's check the auction barns. We're walking the pens with Larry Marble. We got sheep and goat news for you today from Gillespie Livestock Fredericksburg. Sean Geisblatt and his dad Wayne sell sheep and goats Tuesday, Cattle Wednesday. Sean, how did the sheep sell for us? Really ended up at 2,500, so we got close to our three. Uh, market was, you know, it's sure, sure a little more active than it was last week. I quoted some of that stuff, uh, 15 to 20 higher again. I know that's a lot, that's a big, big difference, but uh, it sure was a lot more active. Some of those better lambs kind of bring, you know, up from kind of 275 up to so 315, I guess, on the top end, and then on the kids. Those feeder kids were sure a little better this week. It looked like there's a little more activity on them. Uh, they kind of bring up to 375 again on some of the better ones. Uh, some of Spanish kind of to 280 to, to 320. Uh, so I thought we got along real well. The, the nanny, nanny market was considerably better. We sold some of those uh, lighter carcass nannies that we always talk about. Uh, seemed like everybody jumped in and needed a few of those. Uh, and we had quite a few of them today. Uh, they kind of all bring, you know, from 280 to uh, 320 or 40. Uh, on some of, the, some of those went back to the country, kind of bring 340. So I thought that was good. John, thank you. Now let's go to Uvalde. 
Klein Spear, how did you sell sheep and goats? Went pretty well. We had a little over 700 yesterday. The market is a little softer in some spots, kind of getting that summertime market here. But heavy lambs, 250 to 280 And those light lambs, 260 to $3. Those fat ewes were $1.20 to $1.30. Thin packed ewes yesterday, 60 to 95 And those packer nannies yesterday, $1 to $1.70. Fat Spanish nannies, $1 to $1.90. And those good cow retails yesterday were 255 up to about 340 And those smaller lightweights were 225 to $3. And those billies yesterday, $1.50 to 220 So... Overall, a pretty good run yesterday. Neighbor, sounds like we had a good run in Uvalde and in Fredericksburg for our sheep and goat sales. For Sean Guys-White and Klein Spear, I'm Larry Marble. This is Walking the Pins on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Good day. Thanks, Larry. Back over to the futures market now, where lean hogs finished mixed on Friday. June hogs up 15 cents at 110.20. July hogs down $1.42 at $110.75. Class 3 milk mixed also. June milk up a nickel, 24.37 a hundredweight. July milk down 17 at 24.56 a hundred. The cotton market finished lower on Friday despite a strong sales and exports number coming out from USDA on Friday morning. It showed combined seasonal sales of 435,000 bales. China was the top buyer. However, that couldn't push the market higher. We closed lower. July down 93 points, 138.18. October cotton down 209 at 126.66. December cotton down 220 at 117.90. The corn market closed slightly lower. July corn down three and a quarter, 727 a bushel. September corn down three and a half at 701 and a quarter. December corn down four and a quarter. It's six ninety a bushel. Another lower close in the wheat market on Friday. The big news in the wheat market last week was Russia's offer to allow grain shipments out of Ukraine. Of course, there's a catch to that. They want the U.S. to relax some of the sanctions. The likelihood of that happening is not very good. But nonetheless, it pressured the wheat market all throughout the week. July Kansas City wheat down 22.5 on Friday at 11.21 a bushel. July Chicago wheat down 18 and a quarter at 10.40 a bushel. In the energy markets, July natural gas up 5 cents, 8.53. July crude oil up 3.43 at 120.30 a barrel. The financial markets lower Friday afternoon. The Dow down 341 points, 32,906. The Nasdaq down 301 at 12,015. The S&P down 68 at 4,108. That wraps up our look at the markets, and that wraps up this edition of Texas Ag Today. My name's Kerry Martin. Hope to see you back here next time as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state on the planet. Texas Agriculture. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.